Turn with me to Luke, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> Is everybody okay this morning? Uh, six o'clock, sorry. Yeah, Antioch's at six o'clock tonight. And I will say, typically they're not long services. I'm not going to say that about tonight, though. I have no clue. Um, they're, they're having a, um, I believe they're having a young man come in, um, Jake, I believe he's coming to lead worship tonight, and he's, he's decided just to stay the night there at the church tonight, so he has nowhere to go, um, he just worshiped the Lord all night long, and so, I mean, I don't know if that's going to sell you on coming or not coming, I just want you to come because you have a heart for the Lord, not because I sold you on it. So that's just kind of my thing. And I'm not saying if you don't come doesn't mean you don't have a heart for the Lord. But it might. Let's just be honest. It might. So I'm, I'm not going to make that judgment call unless I sit down and talk to you one-on-one. Um, then, then I'll know whether you have a heart for the Lord or not. Um, but um, so I, I'm, I'm preaching something that I've kind of preached throughout lots of different messages over the last little bit i'm just finally going to bring it all together and just preach on it just overtly so that we we all have an understanding of where we are and where we're going um so as as many of you know um i'm i'm a cross-country coach um i coach people to run which is um is it awful is that what you just mouthed it's terrible. I thought I said the word awful. Um, and and I've, I've preached on that a time or two here, is that running. Um, it is terrible, and I don't know why people do it, but I get paid to tell them to do it, so there you go. Um, but, but there's this really awesome thing that happens. It's not awesome. It's, it's terrible. Um, when, I, when I'm out... Um, in my truck, I drive around. Everyone always asks me, do you run with your kids? And I'm like, no, I don't run with my kids. That's, that's, that's not safe. And also, I'm too lazy to do that. Um, but no, I, don't, I, I drive around in my truck because then if one of them you know, gets hurt or feels sick or, or turns the wrong way, as seventh graders are always keen to do, go completely the wrong way, and you have to drive around town looking for them, then you just pick them up and put them in the truck, which totally beats giving them a piggyback ride through town because um, they're tired. And so I drive around in my truck, but what, what happens is, is sometimes I'll be out there and um, these, these guys will be running and I'll be driving around town. They're all spread out all over the place, you know, on the route. And as I, as I turn the corner in the truck, what I'll see is I'll see some just kind of taking a stroll through town, you know, like this right here, you know, running. And as I turn the corner, all of a sudden, they turn around and they see me, and, and things change. They go from this nice little stroller, oh, I've got to move now. Like, 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 I didn't just see you walk, right? Um, they pick up the pace, they start running, and uh, I, I don't know, it's like, you're not fooling anybody, you know? Um, because here's the deal, even if, even if I never saw them walk, right, if they were able to really hide it from me, the fact that they're walking, when September hits and that first cross-country meet hits, right, and they're running circles around this field, 
it's become, it's become very apparent which ones are running in practice and which ones are walking in practice, right? I mean, it's going to be very obvious. Like, oh, why did you struggle so much today? Well, I have something I need to tell you. I've been walking in practice. Really? Really, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And it's, it's funny because I see it time and time again. Um, and, and when I preached early at the beginning of the sermon, I, I preached on, on running, right? Um, and how our, this life is, is like a run. But, but the reality is some of us are kind of that way in our Christian walk is that we run when other people are watching us, but when we're by ourselves, we walk. Maybe we stop running altogether. And I'm not going to re-preach my running sermon from earlier in the summer, but, but we, we come to a place where we only move if someone's watching us. And, and to a degree... There's some spiritual truth in that because accountability is a real important thing in our Christian walk. So I'm, I'm the cross-country coach, and it's really important that I show up to practice. It's important my runners show up and actually do the work, but it's also important that I show up and give them advice on where to run, how to run, and then as they're running, give them advice individually of what they need to change and do differently so they can be a better runner, correct? And then how many know sometimes the only reason you show up to practice, the only reason you don't stop and walk is because you know coach might be coming around the corner. I think the same is true in our Christian life. I think there's days where, where I, will, I will pursue Jesus Christ because I love him and because I want to be closer to him. But there are days in my Christian life where the only reason that I don't fall off the bandwagon is because I know I have people holding me accountable. Correct? This is biblical. And what we call this is this is called discipleship. Um, in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11, this is something I've preached on a few times. Um, like I said, you're gonna, I'm, I'm basically just pulling everything I preached on together through all these different sermons. But in Luke chapter 5, it says, And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. That's like, <laughs> that's like my deer season last season. I sat in the stand, I don't know how many hours, and took nothing. Um, but I kept going. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a great day. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also with him, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Or from now on, you will be fishers of men, as some translations say. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And this is important, and we've talked about it before, that they left everything and followed him. And what we're going to see is what they've actually done. They've put their 
themselves into a position where the only thing they can rely on is Jesus. What we see in, if you flip over to John, um, the sixth chapter, and, and we're not going to, I'm just going to kind of flip through some of this. In John, the sixth chapter, um, I'm not going to read it, but it says that Jesus, he feeds the 5,000. You've maybe heard this story where Jesus, he takes some bread and some fish and people are hungry. There's 5,000 men plus women and children there. So there's a huge crowd and Jesus, they're like, we're hungry. What do we do? And Jesus says, let's take what we have. He, 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 he prays over it. He blesses it. He breaks it and he gives it. Right. And so as he gives it, it just keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Everyone gets fed and they have a bunch of baskets of food left over at the end. That's pretty awesome. And what we see as we read on is that these people are so amazed about this miracle of the bread that they want to make Jesus king because it's like, oh my goodness, here's a guy that can take care of us miraculously. Talk about a great welfare program, right? We, we don't have to worry about our poor anymore. This guy can just literally make food. And Jesus, he takes a step back. And if, if you have a heading in your Bible, in verse 22, it says, I am the bread of life. What Jesus then goes on to say is like, look, you guys are really impressed. And they seek him out. They seek him out. And what they say is, like, Jesus goes away and they go seek him out again. They follow him. And they're like, okay, Jesus, we want to see more miracles. We want you to prove that you really are who you say you are. And Jesus is like, see, you're just, you just really want the miracles. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You want bread, but I'm the bread that you want. And he compares it to a story of, of uh, Moses in the desert. And this is what happens to Moses in the desert. They get out into the desert. It's the same situation. They're in the desert. They don't have any food. And what God does is he sends bread from heaven for them to gather up and make meals with and they call it manna manna literally means what is it that's what do we call it we call it what is it you know why they called it that you didn't know what it was that he calls it what is it's like cheese it's and what is it's um they gather up all the what is it's and they eat it and and these people come to jesus and they say you know jesus we think you're pretty great so so moses he got some what is it for it for his people in the desert, what do you have to offer us? And what Jesus says in this passage right here says, sure, Moses, he gave you what is it, but I am what it is. I am the bread. I am the answer to the question of what is it that you need to sustain life. And then he says some really crazy things. Um, um, he says, in verse, um, let me find it real quick. Uh, in verse 52, it says that they dispute among themselves because Jesus in verse 51, he says, I'm the bread of life that come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life um, of the world is my flesh. And he goes on to say, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they get upset and they dispute among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And if we go on, um, in verse 60, it says, when the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And in verse 66, after this crowd of 
thousands hears Jesus say this. In verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And when Jesus sees this, in verse 67, he says to the twelve, his closest disciples, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Why does he say this? Because we just read in Luke chapter 5, he positioned himself. They left everything, right? He had nowhere else to go. And then he answers this, you have the words to eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says to them, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you? Did I not call you to be a disciple? Some people will follow just because everyone else is following. And some people will follow because they feel like they've been chosen. And I feel like even this morning in Forerunner House of Prayer, some of you are here because other people are here and they're following. And so you'll follow with other followers. But some of you are here because you specifically feel chosen by God. And I don't just mean the forerunner house of prayer. I mean in your Christian walk. And that's biblical. Jesus said many are called, but few are chosen. And I don't, I, I, I don't know exactly how this all plays out um, theologically. All I do know is I believe in my heart that really, really all of us are probably chosen, but some of us just actually come to the realization that we're chosen. Well, the rest of us are just feel kind of called. There's a difference. There's a difference between feeling called and feeling chosen by God. So this issue is, through this whole thing, is discipleship. And, and how many believe Jesus is our example? Right? In fact, that's the word Christian means. It means to be like Christ, to be Christ-like, to be a little version of Christ. And we'll talk about that more in here in just a second. If Jesus is our example, that means we should do the things he did and walk in the ways that he walked. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus made disciples. He, he got in front of large groups of people and made disciples. He got in with a little group of people and made disciples. And, and I, I mean, I believe that some people are called to get up in large groups and people and talk, and not everyone is. But I believe that all of us are called to make disciples, every single one of us in this room today. I believe that because in Matthew 28, and you don't have to go all, through all these. I was telling everyone before church, I think I have like 50 scriptures, and I'm sorry. I don't know. Just it's very biblical. Just write everything down and, and you'll get through it or just listen and really like let it sink into your heart. Just pray that your heart is good ground to hear the word of the Lord. Um, but Jesus said this. This is and the last thing Jesus says before he rises into heaven. So here's Jesus. He's got all his disciples around. He's risen from the dead. He died. He rose from the dead. It's pretty amazing what he's done. And he's about to give his last instructions before he sends into heaven. And sends the Holy Spirit. It's his last instructions. If I know that I'm about to give my last instructions, it's, it's, it's going to be really important. Right? Um, some of our friends came in from out of town. They were about to leave to go home. And before they left, I was like, you know what? I want to pray for you guys. Why? Because I want the last thing we do to be like the most important thing. Right? And so we prayed together. So this is what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and earth um, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, deserve all I've, uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what Jesus is saying here in this last thing, he's saying a couple things. He said, one, go everywhere and make disciples and baptize them, right, as they are made disciples, and teach them all the things I've taught you. Teach them. And so this doesn't mean like, like a teacher, like, like everyone sit down and let me teach you, but, but rather the way Jesus taught. How did Jesus teach? How did Jesus teach? Well, te- Jesus, he would just get with some guys and they'd just be walking along and he'd go, hey, you, you see those lilies right there? And they'd all kind of stop and look at them, you know, a bunch of grown men looking at lilies. He's like, 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 like they don't worry. And yet, look how beautiful they are. You shouldn't be worrying either. He's addressing something that was going on in one of their hearts right then. Like, we're following this guy, Jesus, around. He has no money. <laughs> he has no home. And he's probably worried. Like, if I was following Jesus at that time, I'd be worried all the time. Like, what are we going to eat? He's like, worried about what you eat? Look at that bird. Look at that bird. It doesn't worry about what it's going to eat right? The Lord, he sees all those sparrows. And so this is the way Jesus, he's just walking along living life. And as he lives life, he's pulling what they're going through and using it as a moment to teach these 12 guys who are really close to him. And I believe that's an example of how we live. So Jesus, he dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. You know what the first things he does when he rises from the dead? He doesn't start a big megachurch. And I'm not against megachurches. Jesus had megachurches, right? He had thousands of people following in different places. But he used the megachurch to call individual disciples closer to him. And it wasn't just the 12. I think, I mean, he had like three that were really close. And he had 12 that were kind of close. And then he had others that were close too. Because in the upper room, there was 120 that day. So, so there was layers of people in proximity to Jesus. He was pulling people in close to relationship with him. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he took time to disciple people. Individually. So these guys, they see Jesus die. They, they don't know that he's risen from the dead. They think he is. They've heard that he might be risen from the dead. And so they decide, like, they're in Jerusalem and they need to go take care of some business in the next town over. So they start walking, these two guys. And as they walk, this other dude walks up next to them and starts talking to them. And as they're walking along, and they're kind of talking about how Jesus died and that they're saying he's risen from the dead. And this guy's like, Jesus? Who's Jesus? And they just stop and look at him like, where have you been? You've done that before, like when you're talking about a news event. Ever done that? And some of the group's like, what? We were talking about licking the ice cream thing. You ever, you've seen that? Where people, we were talking about licking the ice cream the other day, and someone with us goes, what? What are you talking about? Like, where have you been? People have been taking the lids off ice cream, licking them, and putting them back in the freezer. Where have you been? <laughs> some of you are like, I haven't heard of that. You, I'm just going to say, don't buy your ice cream unless it's sealed off, because that's gross. Um, that's the way they were with this guy. They were like, where have you been? This Jesus guy, he's stirred up Jerusalem. And so the guy walks along with him, and as he's walking along with him, what they don't realize, 
the guy who's playing ignorant here is actually Jesus himself. He's pretending like he doesn't know what's going on. And what he does, this entire walk to the next town over, which would have taken them a better part of the day, he spends the whole time going through the Bible and teaching them the Word of God. That's the way Jesus spends his time when he rises from the dead. Getting in the Word with two guys. Two. Not hundreds, not thousands. Two. And they go in and they eat. Jesus eats a lot. I'm telling you, I'm preaching a whole sermon here on eating very soon. It's so biblical. Um, I think it helps us get to know each other better. You feel better when you eat. Um, we're also going to talk about fasting, too. Fasting is also important. Um, um, but which, one, yeah, which one's the fasting Sunday? Which one's the eating Sunday? Because I need to make sure I, I do and don't show up. So it says, and I'll just read it to you. This is all in Luke chapter 24. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted them all the scriptures in the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is his walk to the road to Emmaus is what it was called on the road to Emmaus. And it says in verse 35, then um, what happens is these guys, they freak out when they realize it's Jesus. And once they realize it's Jesus, he just disappears. So you know what they do? They run all the way back to Jerusalem. That was definitely a cross-country race. Um, and when they get back, it says they told what happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread, which is eating. Um, and then this is what happens. While they're standing there, Jesus appears. It says in, in verse 41 of that same chapter, it says, and while they still disbelieved um, for joy and were marveling, so they have like all sorts of emotions going on, he said to them, this is Jesus, have you, ha you have anything to eat? So they gave him some broiled fish, and he took it and ate it, and he said to them, um, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What he's saying is, is let me explain to you how everything in the Bible, because all they have was the Old Testament at that point, is about me. And it says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And, and, and I want you to, like, I don't want, I don't think it was like, at one point in my life I thought, like, he did this magic thing over their mind. It was like, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and they're like, oh. I don't think that's the way it happened. I think he was like, okay, I think this one little sentence, then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. It was like this, okay, so you know Moses? Okay, so think about this. So Moses said, like, I think that's what he was doing. I think when it says he sat down with his fish, and he's like, all right, let me help you. And he spent the next however long opening their minds to the scriptures by spending that time with them, by discipling them even more with the word of God. This is what we see. Because then, here's the thing, and this, this, um, this, whole, this whole idea of being a disciple, sometimes it's compared to, to feeding your soul. Because then what we see is, 
in another time. So this is Jesus risen from the dead in Luke 24. John describes another instance in chapter 21 where he goes like he appears to Simon Peter again, right? After he's risen from the dead and they're sitting around eating again. And, and, and he looks at Simon Peter and says, do you love me? And he's like, yeah. He said, then feed my sheep. Right? And he's, then he says again, do you love me? He's like, Lord, yeah, I, I love you. He's like, then feed my lambs. And he's like, then he asked him a third time, do you love me? He's like, Lord, do you know I love you? He says, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you were dressed yourself and you walked where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him what kind of death um, he would die to glorify the Father. And after this, he said to him, follow me now that's weird that jesus would say follow me because jesus is about to completely disappear in bodily form but he says follow me he didn't mean follow me like follow me physically what he's saying is follow me and what i think is so interesting in this passage when we're talking about discipleship is the way he described what discipleship is he described it as feeding his sheep do you realize, like, feeding a sheep, and we have this struggle right now in my house because we have this cat that lives on our front porch, and the cat thinks it belongs to us, and so we're trying to say we belong to the cat, right? And what do I have to tell my girls? Feed the cat. And sometimes it's hard to help an eight-year-old understand that a cat has to eat every single day feed the cat feed the cat feed i need a recording i need alexa every day at 8 a.m say feed the cat right like feed the cat a feeding is something that happens continually over and over again and if you're talking about a shepherd and the way he is with his sheep feed my sheep this isn't like a everybody show up on sunday morning and let me give you a sermon and now you've been fed, now go home. I don't think that's feeding my sheep. I don't think it's even close. I think what Jesus was saying when he said, feed my sheep, he's like saying, you know, hey, guess what, Peter? Everything I did with you for the last three years, that was like feeding the sheep. You, you hung out with me. You saw me. We did things together. You, you were fed as we were going along. That's different than the way most churches look in America today. Most churches in America today, and I, I don't mean this ugly, but they're, they're just a group of people come in and vote on one guy to stand up and talk to them every Sunday. And if they say something from the pulpit or the t table that they don't like, then they just, another Sunday, vote them out. And, and that's political. That's not living life together. That's not feeding of sheep. Do you understand that that's that's not even spiritual. That's not even biblical. And that's what we see here. There's there's a big difference between discipleship and Christianity. In fact, can I say this to you in the Bible? The word Christian. Was a negative term. Most theological theologians believe the first uses of the word Christian were negative. That when people called you a Christian, they meant it mockingly to you. Oh, you're one of those Christians. 
because you were always talking about Christ all the time. What they didn't realize is the Christians were kind of like, I kind of like that name, actually. <laughs> you know, like, you're saying it to make fun of me, but, but we kind of like it, you know? And, and what it says to us in, in one place, uh, there's, Paul's sitting there talking. He was Paul, it might have been Peter, I can't remember. He's talking to the leaders of his day, and the leader's saying, you want me to be like you? A Christian? Making fun of the guy? It was, it was Paul. He said, yeah. In fact, besides these chains, I wish you were exactly like me. That was pretty smart of him to say that. <laughs> besides these chains, I wish you were exactly like me. Um, but Christian was a negative term. And what it tells us in, in Acts chapter 11, it says that the, Christ, that the disciples, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What were they called before that? Disciples. What did, what did early believers in Christ call each other? They didn't call each other Christians. They called each other disciples. It was the world that wasn't saved that started calling them Christians. And, and why is that important? I'm not saying that we don't need to use the word Christian anymore. No, we're going to still use the word Christian. What I'm trying to say is that changes the way you view your religion. You are not a Christian. Because the word Christian is this, this that's, that group, that's what the world thinks. That's that group of people who believe this kind of thing and they vote Republican all the time and like all this stuff that may or may not be true. Guess what? I'm not. When, when I'm talking to someone in the world, I'm going to stop using the word Christian for myself. I'm going to start calling myself a disciple. Because, that's, and that's the same thing, Christ follower, because in the Old Testament, the word disciple doesn't even appear, but the word follower does, and it means the same thing. The word disciple, get this, I think you say it in the Greek, mathetes, I think is the way you say it. It means pupil or student. And if you hear that word math in there, and you're like, I think I just heard the word math, and that makes me gag a little. It's similar, right? That's kind of where it comes from. How do you learn math? With lots of studying and lots of some people spending time with you and saying, okay, this is how you do it. But it literally means to be a student or a pupil. That's what a s- disciple is, a student or a pupil, someone who sits and studies underneath you. Um, um, what I think is, is, is amazing is that... Um, when we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because we're Pentecostal, right? And we think, oh yeah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, woo! When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues and do crazy stuff. Okay, kind of, maybe. Um, we've talked about that in here. But get this, this is what's funny. After they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, so Holy Spirit falls on them, they speak in tongues, but that's not the only sign. The second sign is they had boldness to speak the word of the Lord. And then lots of other people came to Jesus that day, and they were also filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then get, get this. This is what happens also as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and this is what happened. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. You know what that is? That's discipleship. Devoting yourselves to teaching, spending time together in fellowship and praying together, that's, that's being a disciple. 
So when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will become a disciple. It happens, that's not the only other place. In Acts chapter 10, they're baptized, another group of people's baptized in the Holy Spirit. Another group. And they get excited because before it was just the Jews who were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now it's the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it says that they were extolling God and they were praising God and all the Jews were amazed, like, oh my goodness. And then Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing of these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So baptism is a good thing. And he says this, then these people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they looked at Simon Peter and all these guys and they asked them to remain with them. Why? Hey, will you please stay with us for a while? Why? So they could be discipled. They realized, now that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I need to know what in the world's going on. I need someone to disciple me. And so they stay with them. This is not the only place. It's all through the book of Acts. In Acts 8, 30, there's this guy, Philip. He's walking along. He sees this complete stranger reading Isaiah. And he says, hey, do you want to know what that really means? And he spends time with the guy. He disciples him in that moment. And the guy gives his life to Christ from reading the Old Testament. Um, um, in Acts 12, 24, it tells us that the word of God was increased and multiplied. That's discipleship. In Acts 14, 21, it says, when they had preached the gospel to um, that city and had made disciples, then they left and went back to their hometowns. So, they didn't just stay and get people saved. They stayed and made sure they were discipled. And then they left. And then in Acts 14, 28, it said, and they remained no little time with the disciples. No little time means a lot of time. They remained with the disciples there a lot of time. They spent a lot of time together. And this is what I think is crazy. How many remember Paul in the Bible? So Paul was this guy, and his job was to kill disciples of Jesus. He would look for him. He wouldn't kill him himself, but he would look for him, drag him into court, and then they'd be killed, right? That was his job. Now, he knew a ton about the Bible. And so when he got saved, finally, first of all, when he got saved, people didn't believe that he'd actually become a Christian um, because they thought it was a trap, right? They're like, uh, we're not buying it. You're just trying to trick us so you can get close to us. Um, but, but when he finally became a Christian, he already knew so much word that he could very quickly understand how the word applied to jesus very quickly and plus he'd been around it a lot because he had hauled off a lot of christians and you can't tell me as he's hauling off some of these christians to jail that they're not trying to tell the pete or paul hey wait a minute you've got this wrong man this is all about jesus the whole old testament and this is what it says it says um uh after after Paul gives his life to Christ, it says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. It says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Immediately. In the synagogue. So he just went places, started proclaiming Jesus, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, saying, is this not the man um, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name of Jesus? And has not he come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So they're saying, we don't believe this guy. I think he's trying to us. But Saul increased all the more in strength, meaning he grew in the things of Christ, right? And 
confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So he's a new Christian, and he's confounding everyone by proving them Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had passed, so how long? So it hasn't been years. It hasn't been months. It's just been many days. Um, the Jews plotted to kill him, uh, but their plot was made known to him. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. And this is what's crazy. So he's been saved how long now? Many days. Many days. And this is what it says. But his disciples took him by night, led him down in a basket through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when um, he had come to Jerusalem, he had he attempted to join the disciples there. So what, what gets me is, who lowered him down through the wall in a basket? His disciples. He'd only been saved a few days, and guess what he already has? Disciples. And that just, that blows my mind. Like saying, okay, here's a guy that's not been saved too long, and he has disciples. I think discipleship is so, so important. And, and let me just give you a few verses in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. It tells us that, that Paul's saying, I want you to learn by us. He's like, I want you to learn by my example. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Philippians 3, 14, he says this, and this is, goes back to our running thing that we read about. He says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have um, attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here's what he's saying. He's like, do what I'm doing. Imitate the way I'm running. Be like me. And, and that's my question for you is, can you say that to other people around you? Can you say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ? In Hebrews 13, 7, it says this. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke um, to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It's telling you in Hebrews to find someone who you think is living a godly life and imitate them. Do the things that they're doing. Jesus says this time and time again. He says in, in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. Um, you also to love one another. By this, um, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. What Jesus is saying is, he says, I'm the example. He says it again in John 15. It says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus is saying, I imitate the Father, you imitate me. In 1 John, John tells us, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same ways in which he walked. That's Jesus walked. And this is even in the Old Testament. Isaiah, he said this. He said, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may not, 
that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. What he's saying here is God has showed me how to lift someone up who is weary by my words. How did he do that? How did God show him that? Well, he says, morning by morning, he awakens me. He awakens me and my ears to hear as those who are taught. He said, morning by morning, I spend time with the Lord and I listen to him. I get in his word and I, as I hear him, I can then tell that to other people. It tells us the same thing in 2 Timothy 2, 2. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. The reality is, is that discipleship should be the way every church in America looks. And instead, what it is, is just some sort of like, like thing we kind of sometimes throw in as a small group or a home group or something like that. What did the early church look like? If you go back and you read Acts, if you look at what happened in the New Testament, what we see is groups of people coming together and talking together. And so my question for you this morning is, one, who is discipling you? And and I'm asking, what is their name? Because you're like, well, I'm being discipled by Forerunner. Okay, who at Forerunner, right? What is their name? Maybe it's not someone from Forerunner, but who is the person of God in your life that is holding you accountable to, to run when you feel like walking? Right? When you're like, okay, it's hot, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, I am done with this whole Christian thing. And someone says, hey, man, you got this. You can do this. I know with, with my runners, sometimes you drive around the corner and they're just, they just want to give up. And sometimes it's that sweet little, hey, man, I believe in you. You can do this. And sometimes it's, you better freaking get your rear in gear or you're going to do extra running when you get to the finish line. How many know, as a coach, I have to be able to discern which time to use which tactic on which kid? How many know it's an individual by individual basis? And Malachi's in the back raising his hand like, please do the first one um always but how many know there's there's a time and place for the harsher one and both both are intended to show the same results in the end and we need people in our lives that know us well enough to know what we need that comforting word of hey you've got this and when we need that you better get your butt in gear and start serving jesus or i'm coming for you how many know both of those are love Both of those are love. And if you see it in the life of Jesus and his disciples, they're walking along. Jesus is with Peter, and he says, hey, hey, who are people saying that I am? They all have these answers, and Jesus is like, okay, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter's like, oh, oh, you are the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got that, and God revealed that to you. You can hear from God, Peter. Isn't that exciting? And Peter's like, yeah. And Peter's like, yeah, I got this. And then later on, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to have to be put to death. And Peter's like, no, no way, no shape, no how. And Jesus is like, you get behind me, Satan. And he calls the same guy Satan just a few verses later. Both of those were the love of Jesus Christ. Both of those were examples of discipleship happening. And the problem is, the problem is, and some of you are like, well, Pastor, don't you disciple me. And the problem is, I can get into the word of God with some of you. 
but some of you will only hold me to a place where I can only encourage you, right? Where I can say, well, you can do this. We've got this, right? And, but some of you I don't have relationship enough with to kick you in the butt when you're acting like a knucklehead. Some of you I do, but some of you I don't. And it's, I'm not, like, it'd be impossible for me to have that kind of relationship with every single person in here. There's just too many. Jesus only had 12 that he could do that with, right? Um, as churches grow, it would be impossible for one pastor to one-on-one disciple every single person in the church. That means we have to be a church who is discipling each other. There should be someone else in the church or in this community close to us. Or Now we have technology, right? So it could be someone in another community where you can call them and they can call you and say, you need to get your rear in gear. Because discipleship is not easy. Discipleship is not easy. Because this is what Jesus described discipleship in Luke chapter 9. He says, as they were going down the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But the guy said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those back at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, and this to say that discipleship is not just living sweet Christian life. Discipleship is rearranging your life to be submitted to Jesus at the expense of everything else that you do. So you have to say, Jesus is my priority and everything else fits around that. And, and, and you've heard me say it over the last several weeks. That's not the way we live so many times. So many times we do our life and fit Jesus in around the, the perimeter of it. Like Jesus kind of just holding it all together. And if something falls apart, we're like, Jesus, I thought you were holding this all together. And Jesus is like, I thought I was supposed to be the middle of everything. And that has to be where we, when, that when we invite someone into our lives, say, hey, I need you to disciple me. That we need to be willing to rearrange our life for things that they tell us. And, and I know that and you're like, well, what if they manipulate the whole situation then and tell me to do really weird stuff? Then don't pick a weird person to disciple you. It's still America. You can tell them no. <laughs> like, this is not a cult. Um, I mean, is it possible? Yes, that's definitely a possibility. But, but like for me, I'm very careful when I'm discipling anyone to say, thus saith God. Because that's just a manipulation tactic most of the time. You know what I can do confidently? Is say, what does the Bible say? And then we can go to the Word. Because guess who did that? Jesus. So I can confidently say, okay, you're going through a real hard time now. Let's go and see what's going on here. What can we get into? This is way more effective than my counseling. But you have to be willing to rearrange your life for someone to disciple you. In Luke 14, this is later on, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him. This happened all the time. Big crowds would come. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a 
tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And I know I've preached on this several times in the last few weeks. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing again. But, but the realization here is that our, our love for Jesus and our, our commitment to be a disciple of him is more important than our family. It is more important than anything else. That, that, and I preached on the cross a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go on that again. But, but to realize that there's an offensiveness to taking up your cross. And the offensiveness isn't to everyone else. The offensiveness is to you. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it offended them at that time. Like, why is he saying that? Crosses are gross and nasty and terrible and a sign of oppression. And yet Jesus wants me to get one. And that has to be our heart when we invite people to be disciples. Because this is, this is what I believe with all my heart is that every person in here should also be discipling someone. Maybe not yet, some of you. Maybe you're not to that place yet in your spiritual walk where you feel like you can confidently disciple someone. But in that case, you should definitely have someone discipling you so that you can get to that place. The goal of your Christian walk is for you to disciple someone. And not so you can just be like, I'm a disciple and I'm discipling someone and now pastor is happy with me. Um, the reason we want to disciple people is for them to get closer to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the whole goal of discipleship is to say, we want people to be drawn in closer to who Jesus is. And, and it, was, it was funny. I was talking last night with, with one of my really great friends in the world and we were talking about the Bible and all these things and some of the problems we face in life. And, and we, we said it's really interesting because sometimes people just want to argue with you like about right and wrong. And that's, we all struggle with right and wrong, right? Anyone else struggle with right and wrong? Me, you, right? We all struggle with right and wrong. But as you sit down and start talking to people while they're doing the wrong thing, that's kind of the key word. Why are you doing that? It's less of the what they're doing and more of the why are they doing it. And so we can get really offended with the what people are doing. We can get real offended with what people are doing to us, what we see them doing out there, what we see them posting on social media or whatever it is. We get so frustrated with what people are doing, but Jesus is really concerned of why they're doing it. And, and even, even in... Even in our, our the, the denomination we fellowship with, um, there was so much what for so long. You couldn't wear pants, or you couldn't wear shorts, sorry. And you couldn't wear makeup, and, and you couldn't drink hot chocolate. Yeah, you couldn't drink hot chocolate for years. Because it was a drug. Caffeine is a drug, right? And we can't, we can't be using drugs. And, and it's, like, it's like, okay, that's all the what, but why? Why can't we do those things? Why? Why? And maybe there's still people who say, you know, I can't drink caffeine. I think the Lord's told me not to. Then don't. <laughs> like, like, really don't. And there's probably a why behind that has to do with I need to be closer to Jesus. If that's the why, then don't drink caffeine, right? But, but if it's just so you look religious, then that's a wrong kind of why. And that's what discipleship gets into. That's that whole Jesus sitting down and opening up the scriptures and revealing stuff like, okay, let's get into some whys. 
Why did Moses say this? Right? That's what this whole thing about discipleship is. It's being able to sit down with somebody, look them in the eye, and start asking this question, why? Why do you keep doing that? And what does the word say about that? And then are you going to be obedient to the word of God in your life? It's this whole idea of surrendering our lives to Jesus at the cost of everything else that's going on. And if we can't be that, if we can't be that, then we shouldn't have a church. I, I believe that with all my heart. If we can't be disciples of Jesus and know him more. And so, so here's my prayer this morning. This is my heart for us this morning. Is that each one of us would have such a passion for Jesus Christ that we want to be more like him. That's my heart. Every single person in this room would have such a heart for Jesus that they see him like, Jesus, I want to know you and I want to be like you. But we have to realize that Jesus isn't here in bodily form. He sent us his Holy Spirit. And so we have to find another person that we can look at and say, okay, you look a whole lot like Jesus, so I'm going to do what you do. That's biblical. That's discipleship. And then for us to also become that same person that we can turn around to someone else and say that to them. Look at me and be like me. And so I would ask you, who is discipling you and who is your disciple? Well, that's weird to say, isn't it? Who is your disciple? That seems strange, but that's what the Bible calls it. Oh, you want me to say, who is your Christian? I don't, that sounds weirder. Um, who is your disciple? Are you on the road to getting where you can disciple someone and so that's where we are so i'm going to pray for us and and then we're going to go because i think it's hot in here anyway father god i i come before you in the name of jesus lord we thank you first of all god that you have met us here god thank you for that sweet time in worship today god we thank you for your presence in this place and lord we thank you that you're a healer we continue to declare healing on those oh god who who need it, Lord, the manifestation and healing. But God, I just pray that in this place, Father God, we have looked at Scripture, Lord, this morning, just to see that discipleship is the biblical uh, pattern, Lord, of how a godly life should be lived. Lord God, I, I pray that, Lord, as we move forward in the next few days and weeks and months, Father God, that Lord, we be a people, Lord God, who respond to your word when it's spoken to us by those in our lives that are imitating Jesus. Lord, let our hearts be challenged. Lord, let us consider the cost. Lord God, we know that discipleship offends some people. And God, so I just, right now, I just pray, Lord, for a protection on this church, Lord, as we endeavor to be disciples. Lord God, the enemy will try to drive divisions. Lord, but those who are offended by discipleship are offended by the great cost it is of following you. Lord God, we pray for no divisions in this place. Lord God, we pray for peace and unity. Lord God, this is how we know we're disciples is, is our love for each other. And so God, I just pray for outrageous love to be extended all across this place. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.